0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Personally and intimately, and so I thought today it would be a good idea to remind all of us of some just basic priorities of what it means to know Jesus Christ and to know Him in a personal and intimate way. And this is a reminder that all Christians need every once in a while because we uh, we just lose perspective. We get caught up in so many uh, things and get distracted and lose focus and lose the priority. And it's easy to do as fallen, busy, short sighted, myopic sinners that we are. And here is just a wonderful reminder in Luke chapter 10. So let's go ahead and look at this short story. This is a true story. This story also probably happened at the end of Jesus' three year ministry. Luke chapter 10. Short. Just verse 38 to 42 is all we're looking at. But it is incredibly poignant and powerful. It's absolutely classic. Um, just before it is a parable, this, is, this account is actually a true story. This actually happened. These are real people that were involved. And it just uh, re- gives us a great reminder, but also um, principles to live by and an example to be modeled in terms of what it means to truly know Jesus Christ and make Him the priority of our life let's go ahead and look at it and follow along as I read starting at verse 38 in Luke chapter 10 now as they were traveling along this is they as Jesus and his disciples they've been doing a lot of traveling as itinerant ministers and preachers following Jesus along also sometimes he's getting chased out of towns near the end of his life now as they were traveling along he entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's Word seated at His feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, or literally, with her much serving. And she came up to Jesus and said, Lord! Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. It's amazing. Amazing story. So let's go ahead and look at it. I, I divided it up into just seven reminders, seven principles. It's 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 an actual story and a historical account. It's not meant to be outlined and chopped up and whatever. What I was trying to do is just take away some practical principles that we can be reminded of and apply to our own life. So at the end of the sermon and you're asking, well, what are the practical principles of this? Well, there they are, one through six. Written out for you. And hopefully that makes it easy for you to think those through and apply them to your own life and evaluate your own life as I will do with my own life as well. So, And really it's just taking it verse by verse. And we look at these principles of knowing Jesus Christ and the priority of worship. Let's go ahead and look at that, starting at verse thirty eight uh principle number one there is, in terms of knowing Christ and growing in a relationship with him, we need to welcome Christ into our home and into our life. We need to welcome Jesus Christ into our home and into our life personally verse thirty eight now, as they were traveling along, that's Jesus and his disciples, the end of his ministry, maybe about six months before his death, we're not quite sure. Um, at this time, there was a rising animosity against Jesus Christ. The Jews who hated Him had tried to stone Him a few times, chased Him out of town. So Jesus, in some respects, is on the run. And we see that in the account of Luke. He's traveling along with His disciples. There are different times where He went and sought to find refuge from select few trustworthy, loyal, committed friends and disciples. And this household happened to be one of those few loyal Homes of disciples who loved Jesus and Jesus trusted these people. And it was Mary and Martha and Lazarus who probably had a home in Bethany. Bethany is just less than two miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus did a lot of that ministry at the end of his uh, life. And so when he's getting chased out of Jerusalem by the Pharisees who hated him, uh, could be times where he's going just less than two miles away to uh, Martha's house if she's the one that owned the home. And this is indeed where this incident probably takes place. The city of Bethany just two miles away from Jerusalem. So now as they were traveling along, Jesus and probably the disciples entered a certain village, Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So uh, we believe that Martha, well, we know from Scripture that Martha and Mary were sisters, and it's probably that Martha was the older sister. They are mentioned a couple other times in the Gospel of John in particular uh, Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. This was probably not a surprise visit. Je- uh, Martha knew who Jesus was at this time. Uh, as a matter of fact, in verse 38, when it says that Martha welcomed Him, welcomed, that's the Greek word, it's actually a technical phrase used in the New Testament referring to formal hospitality, that she was very deliberate in welcoming Jesus into her home and she wanted to be hospitable to Jesus and made all kinds of preparations. We know that from the text, that she bent over backwards and uh, spent much time, energy, and effort knowing that the Lord Jesus Himself is coming to our home. And she went to great lengths to roll out the red carpet for Jesus. And it says Martha greeted Him and she welcomed Jesus into her home. And that coincides with point number one, is that knowing Jesus Christ, we as a family, we as individuals, you and your individual family, in knowing Christ, you need to welcome Jesus Christ into your home. Personally, I mean, and literally as a family, incorporate Him in every area of your life. Is Jesus welcome in your home? When you're sitting at the dinner table, like we've done this in the past. uh, Mommy in particular, as our kids were growing up, sometimes around the dinner table, we'd have our kids and then there's an empty chair at the dinner table. It wasn't really empty because Jesus was sitting there and we wanted our kids to know Jesus is welcome or should be welcome in our home And so this is actually a good thing that Martha is doing. She's being courteous. She is welcoming her home. She's opening up her life to the Lord Jesus. She has great adoration for Jesus. Yes, she was a sinner. Yes, she messed up. But she starts out great. And she starts out with wonderful intentions. She welcomes Jesus in her home. And we're going to see that uh, throughout this, uh, Martha messes up. She blows it. She gets self-centered. She gets short-sighted. She gets incredibly... Sinful, really, in terms of her bitter attitude, and Jesus rebukes her, but she learns from that, and she grows from that experience. And just a little later on in the ministry, just before Jesus' death, a week before his death, uh, we read the account in uh, John. Let's go to John real quick, just to give you context. In John chapter 11 and John chapter 12, I believe clearly that the Luke incident happened months before the John 11 and 12 incident. In John chapter 11, uh it says in verse 1 there was a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So there they are again the sisters Martha and Mary and the brother Lazarus and they're from that town Bethany which is just 2 miles away from Jerusalem and this is where Lazarus dies. And Jesus eventually raises Lazarus from the dead. But He has an interchange with Martha and Mary. Uh, Martha and Mary are sad because their brother is about to die. And actually, he does die. And they're wondering why Jesus took so long to get there. And so uh, Martha runs out of the house and she confronts Jesus and is pleading with Jesus. And boy, if you only got here earlier, then my brother would have lived. And Jesus says, He will live. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, and then Martha says in verse 27 of John chapter 11, Martha said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I have believed that You are the Christ, the Son of God. That is a great, unbelievable profession that Martha made. In other words, she came to a point where she recognized truly who Jesus was. He wasn't just a great Bible teacher. He was God incarnate. He was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And this is just a little glimpse of Martha's uh, maturity and growing intimacy that she had over the course of her Christian life. And I think a catalyst to that growth in her life was the rebuke she got in Luke chapter 10 that happened earlier. Uh, let's go on to John chapter 12. Uh, this is just six days before the Passover, the last week of Jesus' life in John 12. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany again to the home of Martha, uh, Mary, and Lazarus probably. Came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, and so they made Him a supper there. And Martha was serving. That's what Martha did. That's what she's doing in Luke chapter 10. As a matter of fact, she's going to get rebuked about the way she served, or her attitude of serving in Luke 10. But this is months later. She's serving. She isn't rebuked for serving this time. Actually, she's probably to be commended for the way she served in John chapter 12 because she learned, she grew, she understood where her priorities should be. And, but that was her giftedness. Her and Mary were very different, Martha and Mary. If you've got, if you're a female and you've got a sister, no doubt, it could be that you are, have some differences as sisters. Even if you're twins, I bet there are some distinct differences between the two of you in terms of personality, preferences, tastes, temperament, whatever. And gifting from God. And Martha and Mary were the same. Uh, Martha was gifted and loved serving. And Mary seemed to be a little more passive, held back, uh, we see that in both texts. A little more reserved, not as outspoken, but a quality woman nonetheless. They were just different. And so you see that again in here, John 12, so they made Jesus a supper there, and there's Martha, she's serving, she does what she does. Lazarus was also there, and then verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of a very costly, genuine spikenard ointment. So, Martha's serving the Lord with activity, that's a blessing. And then there's Mary at the feet of Jesus again, just like she's at the, His feet in, in Luke chapter 10. And I think, uh, in John chapter 12, their ministry of serving and Martha at His feet is a perfect complement of adoration and worship that Jesus deserved just before His death. But before they got to that point, they had to learn a lesson, Martha in particular, and it had to do with her attitude, not so much her giftedness at serving. So let's go back to Luke chapter 10. Where we see these uh, siblings. Welcome Christ into your home. And so Martha starts off the right way. Welcoming Jesus into her home. And that's the challenge. And I want to challenge all of us to welcome Jesus into your home. Is he, is he the King of your home? Is He the head of your home? Are His principles what reign and dictate what goes on in your home? Even when unbelievers or others come into your home. Are they going to find a witness of Jesus Christ who reigns as the King in your home? That. I'm reminded of Joshua at the end of Joshua 24:14, where Joshua uh, charges probably almost 2 million of the Jews in terms of their commitment before they go into the promised land or as they are in the promised land. Uh, we have some options here. We can follow the false gods that are everywhere and have been here for years and years and years, or we can be the exception and follow the one true God. And so he makes this personal challenge that all of us really Jamaica is a challenge in our own home. He says, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. It's a personal decision, a personal choice. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua did. That's what he modeled. And so also we need to do the same thing. So we need to welcome Jesus into our own homes, but also we need to welcome Jesus into our own hearts. And this is where Martha falls short on a personal level. She welcomed Him physically and literally into her home, but she really didn't welcome Jesus into her home in the right way in terms of spiritually. The one that welcomed Jesus really was her sister Mary. And we're going to see that as we go through the text. So it's not just physically and in words welcoming Jesus. You have to do it on a personal, individual uh, basis with the right attitude and that's where she falls short and there are individuals who just simply do not welcome jesus when they hear him. as a matter of fact in our world today it is very common for jesus to be boycotted jesus is not welcomed in many places jesus is against the law in many places we want to ban guns now in our country and already jesus is banned from many places in the the public uh, discussion or the public schools and on and on it goes how ironic the Lord, the blessed Savior, who should be welcomed into every home and every heart and every place to be a blessing is banished and considered illegal and dangerous. It's reality. But that's where we need to start in terms of our devotion and knowing Christ. Have you welcomed Jesus into your life, into your home? And the challenge for us is Do you have you welcomed Jesus into every area of your life as a Christian? Or is Jesus just isolated... To Sundays or my religious life, or is Jesus welcome into every area of your life? Every, do you allow him to be intrusive in every area of your life and of my life? Uh, your financial life does Jesus reign supreme? My financial life uh, are there secret areas of our life where we don 't want God to be involved or no you can 't go there Jesus or no i don 't want the Bible to reign in that area uh, that 's a challenge for us, but does Jesus reign in every area of our life in terms of our friendships? Uh, the workplace, our entertainment, our career, our desires, our goals. That's what I mean by welcoming Jesus in every area of our life. We need to do that. That's what it means to truly know Christ. Let's go on and see how Martha and Mary do at welcoming Jesus, which takes us to point number two, and that's verse 39. Uh, after welcoming Christ into your home and to your life, on a very personal level, we need to make a priority of listening to His Word. Listening to His Word. And by listening to His Word, I mean, listening to Scripture, the Bible, because like I said earlier, that's how God speaks to us. It is through Scripture. It is through His Word. And There has to be a regular intake of the Bible, of the Word of God, so that we can know the very thoughts and the mind of God. And so uh, that takes us to verse 39. So after Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, from the text we know that uh, some things went on and then uh, Jesus came in and He assumed a position as a rabbi and at some point he began to speak and teach. And there were probably other people there, like I said, the disciples. Maybe Lazarus was there. Uh, but Mary is also there. And one of the first things that Mary does is she finds, oh, Jesus is teaching, the Lord is teaching, I'm going to submit myself to Him and get right at His feet. And that's what she does. So uh, looking at verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who, moreover, was listening to the Lord. She was listening to the Lord. She was listening to the Lord's Word and she was seated at His feet. Verse 40 is going to go on to tell us that Martha wasn't listening to the Lord. She was distracted. She was distracted with her many servings or her many preparations that she was doing as the hostess of the home, uh, getting things ready, making dinner, those kind of things. In other words, she was piddling. She was piddling. And there was a lot to piddle over. Dishes and this and that, and making everything right and all the accoutrements and uh, everything external that had to go with that event of entertaining the Lord Jesus Christ. And... uh from the text, we know that Mary probably was at one point helping Martha and then at one point uh, Mary turned away and put that behind her and was no longer helping with the serving and Mary drew her attention elsewhere and that was to the Lord Jesus Christ who was in the f- official position of the teaching rabbi and actually the God-man and He began to teach the Word of God. And not necessarily just teaching Old Testament Scripture, but Jesus Himself speaking the Word of God because He is God. And so Mary immediately gravitates to the Lord Jesus in great adoration and she literally finds this submissive position. And in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, one of the ways that you were a formal disciple of a great teacher was you literally sat at their feet before them. Like Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the great Jewish teacher. So to sit at the feet of somebody is to be their disciple, to be committed, to be focused and deliberate. You're going to learn from them. Submit to them. Be open and humble and teachable under what they had to say. And that is the position that Mary assumes. She assumes the position of a loyal, faithful, committed, open disciple at the feet of Jesus. It's amazing. But this wasn't customary of Women in Jesus' day, by the way, 2,000 years ago. And that's one of the great things that the Lord Jesus did and Christianity did is it elevated the place of women to its proper place. Jesus knew, the Apostle Paul knew, the Apostles Christianity taught that women were made in the image of God just as equally as men are. But in the culture, even the Pharisees didn't believe that. Some of the Pharisees believe and the Sadducees that women were second-class citizens. They belong in a different place. They shouldn't be in positions of learning equally to where uh, men would be learning. Not so with Jesus. He allows Martha to sit with the men at His feet in a learning discipleship position. This says a lot about Jesus as well and His love and respect for women who are made in God's image. So, point number two, make a priority of listening to God's Word as Mary does Here, that is the priority. Mary, who moreover was listening, and that's ongoing listening, committed listening, listening to the Lord's Word seated at His feet, listening to biblical truth, because Mary probably knew that she was finite and she needed God's wisdom. She needed the Word of God. So also that is true of us. We need the Word of God. We need a regular intake of the Word of God. We can't be dependent upon our own thoughts and our own imaginations, our own suspicions, our own interpretation of reality. Did you know that we could not properly interpret life properly without God interpreting it for us through the truth of His Word? I mean, especially, I think about uh, tragedies that happen in the world, Uh, like the incident that happened where, you know, 20 little kids are, are murdered in cold blood. Immediately, the whole world, what are they doing? They're asking questions. They're trying to interpret reality. Why did this happen? How does this happen? What do we do now that this has happened? And people are asking why? What is that? The ultimate question there is they're looking for a divine interpretation of what is going on to explain it. And you know what? Only God has the answer to something like that. Only God does. And today He reveals it. He is not silent. He reveals those answers to us in His Word. So we're dependent upon God, a regular intake of His Word, to interpret reality from day to day all around us. And it doesn't have to just be a, a tragedy that takes place. It's daily events that we need interpreted on our behalf, and we need a voice from God. We need His interpretation. Not only do we need His interpretation for reality, if you are a Christian, a regular intake of the Word of God is food for the soul. It is milk and meat for your soul. So we regularly have to be at the feet of Jesus, and what that means is learning from Him. Now, physically, Mary could go to Jesus physically and listen to Him teach. Today we can't do that. Jesus is in heaven. Uh, His presence is invisible. He's only present through His invisible Holy Spirit. So how do we go to Jesus today to sit at His feet and learn from Him? It is wherever His Word is faithfully taught. That's how you sit at the feet of Jesus today. Or you can go directly to the Bible, the Word of God. Sit at His feet, read. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. Get others to interpret it for you and learn of Him. That's how we do it. A couple passages I want you to look at. Um, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. If you flip over a few towards the end of your New Testament, just the importance of the Word of God and a regular ongoing intake of the Word of God. Just a reminder that scriptural truth, biblical truth, God's words are milk and meat for the Christian and our soul and to guarantee ongoing spiritual growth. If you're a Christian and you're not having a regular intake of the Word of God in a very serious extended, systematic manner, then you're not going to grow. Your, your growth actually is going to be squelched and stunted. Uh, we're going to become vulnerable and fall to different temptations. We'll be led astray. We'll be deceived. And this is how God keeps us on the straight and narrow and feeds our very soul. First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Therefore, Christians, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy, envy and slander, like newborn babes. Like newborn babes. What is it? we got more and more newborn babes here at our church. What do they want? Right now they want milk, milk, milk. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give That's all they desire. And it's, it's a healthy thing. And it is to help them grow. Like newborn babes. So regardless of how long you've been a Christian, every single believer always re- needs to remain a newborn babe in terms of thirst and desire for the longing of the pure milk of the Word of God and regular intake of scriptural biblical truth. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. That is... The Word of God, long for it, desire it, crave it. So I would ask you, as we begin our new year, what do you crave most in your life? What are your greatest longings for? What do you desire for? If you had to write down a list of ten things that you most desire in life, would the Word of God and its intake be one of those ten? That's a great challenge to think about as we evaluate our own spiritual growth. Am I hungry for the Word of God? Because it could be. This happens to every Christian. You know what? I'm kind of dry right now. And I don't feel like reading my Bible. I'm actually uh, not really interested in listening to sermons of biblical truth. I'm, I'm tired of listening to sermons on CD. And so we, we get into those stages where we kind of get dry. And that's a dangerous place to be. And what we need to do when we get into those dry places, or kind of a low, is we need to, well, we need to keep taking in the Word of God. Many times that's where I, and I get dry spells as well. And I have to force myself. Usually I go to the Psalms. Because in the Psalms you can find David in dry spots at times as well. And just start reading the Psalms and meditating on those. And you can identify uh, with David. But the point is you have got to be in a regular, ongoing way in the Word of God. Taking it in. Desiring it. And by the way, if you don't desire it, you kind of can't force yourself to desire something. Did you know that? So what you need to do, if you realize I don't really desire the Word of God in the Bible... The place to start is to ask God to give you that desire. It's just a simple prayer. Father, help me desire Your Word because I don't. And I know it's not good for me. I need to desire Your Word so that I can grow. Holy Spirit, help me desire Your Word that I would literally pant after it like fresh water from a stream of the, the hungry deer that we see in the Psalms. So start there asking God to help you hunger and desire for the truth of His Word And then you've got to get into the Word and be taking it in on a regular basis. So he says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. And Why? Well, one of the reasons is that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you are not in the Word of God and taking in the Word of God on a regular basis, it will stunt and hinder your spiritual growth. And if you're a believer, you don't want that to happen. Right? So we've got to be having a regular intake of the Word of God so that we might grow thereby. Uh, reminded of Jesus who told Satan, uh, quoting from Deuteronomy 8, that man or humans don't live by bread alone, but on really what we live by is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how we grow. So we've got to be taken in the Word of God. So I would ask you, and maybe this is a New Year's resolution for you, how, often, how many times during the week are you reading your Bible uh, it can sound, um, you know, that repetitive or like one of those things that Christians ask all the time: "Are you reading your Bible?" Well, actually, it's reality. It means things. You need to have your nose in the Word, hearing the Word of God. There's different ways you can do it. You can uh, listen to Bible CDs and listening to those while you're driving, and going to w- work, or have a verse written down on a piece of paper in your pocket, and you're reading that and memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is supernatural. God's Scripture. It is supernatural, living truth. And when you take it in, the Holy Spirit of God uses that to enliven you, to feed you, to teach you, to restrain you, to restrain me. It's the living Word of God. We have got to get it into our soul. That's the key. And it's gonna help us. It's gonna help us grow. So that's our challenge. So how many times a week are you taking in the Word of God in some form or a manner? Uh, how many days a week? It's got to be a regular discipline of our life so that we can grow. So this is a great challenge for us. And going back to Luke chapter 10, that's what Mary did. That's what Mary knew. If there was an opportunity to hear the Word of God, she was there. She's seated. She is submissive. She's ready to learn from the Lord Jesus Himself taking in His Word. Seated at His feet. Her soul being fed. Psalms tells us, how can a man, young man keep his way pure? Fight off his love. By keeping it according to Thy Word. And then the psalmist says, Thy word, O God, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. So taking in the Word of God is going to help us as a defense mechanism to fight off sin and temptation. It's the tool that God uses, the living, abiding Word of God. So make a priority of listening to His Word on a regular basis. And in the words of Peter, that you may grow thereby with respect to your salvation. Sanctification. Don't stunt your growth. Don't deprive yourself of God's Word. Take every opportunity you can to listen to the Word of God wherever it is. Bible study. Sunday school. By the way, we've got Sunday school classes. We're studying the Word of God. We had a Sunday school class today that I was teaching, the young adults class, where we looked at a passage of the Word of God and meditated on it together. That's one opportunity of inviting the living Word of God into our hearts, into our souls, into our minds, so the Holy Spirit can engage our souls and help us grow As a result, and that's my heart's desire for everybody that was there. So take advantage of every opportunity to hear the Word of God. Sunday school class, Bible studies, whatever it is, small group. We've got to do it. We've got to make the choice. Martha made a choice. Mary made a choice. Martha decided, you know what? I'm going to be distracted and I'm going to do all these things that aren't the priority. Mary made a choice. She decided to go humble herself and sit at her blessed Savior's feet and take in the Word of God. So it is a choice that we make. So if we want to grow in knowing Jesus Christ, we welcome Him into our home and our life and also we need to make a priority of listening to His Word. Number three, part of making the right choices and having the right priorities is tearing away the distractions of life and that's point number three. Tear away the distractions of life. If you do, that will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Tear away the distractions. What was Martha's problem? Part of the problem was she was distracted. She was distracted. She had the wrong attitude. She had the wrong priorities. She made the wrong decision. Look at verse 39 and 30, 40. They go together because there's this huge contrast. The word but, very important, begins verse 40. But, huge contrast. It's contrasting Mary and Martha and their priorities. And it's also contrasting their attitudes and the decisions that they made. So Mary chose to go Sit at the Lord's feet and listen to His Word. But, that is huge at verse 40. In contrast to Mary. Big mistake what Martha did. But Martha was distracted. And literally in verse 40 it says she was distracted with many servings. Many active servings. English translations also say with all of her preparations. And nowhere in this text does it say that her preparations or her acts of service were inherently evil because they weren't. In any other given context, on any other given day, if Martha did some of these things, they would be a blessing to other people. And I think later on these kind of things were a blessing to Jesus when she had the right attitude. So uh, the, the act of serving in and of itself wasn't what was wrong. It was her attitude, not her actions. And she was distracted. What was she distracted by? Well, distracted by wrong priorities. She was distracted by thinking the wrong things. Her thought life is what distracted her and got her off kilter. She had wrong thoughts. What did she have wrong thoughts about? Well, we always have wrong thoughts about other people. We do that all the time. It happens in the church all the time. All the time. Constantly and continually. I dare say that there are probably people today that have wrong thoughts about other believers in this church. It is distraction. Uh, it is destructive. It is, I'm going to say, demonic. It is divisive. It is not good. And that was Martha's problem. She is distracted by wrong thoughts. And I know that's the truth because when Jesus confronts her, He addresses her thought life. Her priorities, her attitude, now she's thinking. Tear away the distractions of your life. Because that was Martha's problem. But Martha, who should have been at the feet of Jesus, listening to His Word, she had the wrong priorities. She was distracted by all of her serving, the things she had to get done. And actually, what this, she was pretty much consumed in what she had to do. This She is serving her own agenda. She's got this long list. I need to do this and this and this, and I need to get all the dishes done before everybody leaves, and I need to clean the kitchen, I need to get off the floor. When she is totally off base of what the priorities are. God Almighty in the flesh is in your living room teaching the living Word of God, and you're worried about the dishes. Wow! Talk about wrong priorities. So Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And again, it wasn't inherently the the acts of service that was the problem. What is the problem? Jesus is going to tell us what the problem is in just a second. That was her thought life. Her wrong thoughts. But look what she does in verse 40. This is amazing. Uh, Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, all the serving she was doing. And she came up to Jesus... And said, actually, it should say, uh, or what it literally means, she came up to Jesus and rebuked Him. Isn't that amazing? Martha came up to the almighty incarnate God of the universe and rebuked Him. That's how audacious this is. and Amazing. Wow. She was way off. What did she rebuke Jesus with? Well, so she was kind of mad at Jesus. She reproached Jesus. And she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? That's a rhetorical question. Jesus, you don't care. Jesus, you don't care. And you don't care that Mary left me. Do you not care? It is a question. Martha asks Jesus a question. In Jesus's retort or his response, he doesn't answer her question. It's amazing. It's like he just ignores her question because her question is a distraction. Her question, the content of her question is not the issue. She is off focus. So when he gives an answer, he gets her back on focus. You are thinking the wrong thoughts. That question isn't even relevant. That question is illegitimate. That question's off base. You're not even thinking right. So we're going to see she asks the question, Jesus doesn't answer the question. Uh, so she asks him a question and then she commands him to do something. And then he he doesn't respond to that either. He doesn't do what she asks him to do. He doesn't even recognize it. It's almost like he just dismisses her command and he dismisses her question. Her questions and her demands are coming from wrong thinking. It's coming from self-centered thinking. She's all about me, me, me. I mean, look at all the me, me, me's in verse 40. It's not about God Almighty in the flesh in her living room who deserves and is worthy of worship. It's me, me, me. Self-centered. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to come and help me. Me, me, me. You know, that's one indicator where you can diagnose in a conversation with somebody if they're being overly self centered and totally inward focused and not thinking about others and not being other oriented in their conversation because their conversation is all about them. Me, me, me. Here are my problems. Here are my issues. Don't you care? You need to do something about it. Uh, them, them, them. They're hurting me. And that's what—that's where she is right now. Her frame of mind is totally wrong and consumed with self. And so Jesus does the right thing. He's like, okay, get your eyes off of yourself and get them up where they need to be. On God, on Christ, on the right priorities. This is key to spiritual growth. This is key to knowing Jesus Christ. And that's what... Jesus is gonna to do to help her, and so he's gonna help her tear away from the distractions of life. And she's consumed with the distractions of life that literally blind her from the priorities. Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, her many servings, and she came up and rebukes him, and then not only does she have a bad attitude towards Jesus rebuking him, she has a bad attitude towards her sister Mary. Mary is not the one at fault here. This was all, this all began by Saying in verse 38, we need to receive and welcome Jesus. Mary is welcoming and receiving Jesus by sitting at his feet and making him the priority. That's how ironic is that. This is all about receiving Jesus and welcoming him, and the one that's doing it is Mary, and Martha is mad at Mary because she's focused on self. And she's basically being a tattletale. Jesus. Mary's left me. She's not helping me with the dishes. she's doing something else. She's over there sitting at your feet listening to you, teach. Tell her to get back over here and do the dishes. No, Martha, that is not good. So tear away the distractions of life, and so that's what Martha needed. She needed to be torn away from the distractions of her piddly things, her own agenda, the things that she was uh, thought was important, which are all superficial things. And is, that is easy to do in church. That having pastored for. Uh, many years and years and years in different churches, this is so uh, applicable to church ministry today because we can get consumed so easily with the things we need to do in church and the programs and the externals uh, that we lose focus about what it's really all about, right? Right? where we have some minute maybe it's a men's ministry event or a children's ministry event or a women's ministry event or whatever church event you have and we're so worried about the details and the planning and who shows up and who doesn't show up and that didn't go well and the uh, the video broke down and it was somebody else's fault and they showed up late and then all of a sudden everybody's bickering and mad at each other and then you go home from your church ministry event where God was supposed to be glorified and honored and the word of God was supposed to go out and everybody's mad at each other it's like wow that was a really successful ministry event let's do that again And that's what's going on here. Jesus Christ is to be honored and glorified, and God's people are to be edified with the Word of God. And that is being undermined from a bad attitude and wrong priorities. That happens in the church all the time. And it shouldn't. So we need to re-examine every ministry that we're a part of, every ministry that we are a part of individually, every program we have in the church, and recalibrate and say, are we doing the right thing? Do we have the right priorities? Is goal number one that Jesus Christ is glorified in this? And is He glorified through the harmony and the love and the consideration and the deference that is shown among the saints to one another? Because Martha wasn't doing that to her sister. She's backbiting her sister and has a poisoned, lousy attitude towards her sister Martha. And Jesus totally dismisses that because He knows it's sinful. So we need to do the same in the church and all of our ministries and we need to tear away the distractions of life. So in ministry, what are the distractions that can smother things out? Well, I just talked about some of those. It's all the things that got to be done, right? We got to set up the chairs and open the buildings and whatever else. There are other distractions just generically in life that we have today that can kind of cloud in and smother out our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and making Him the priority. We probably have more distractions accessible today than any uh, people in the history of humanity, don't we? I mean, you probably like have a cell phone. That's a, you talk about a distraction. You can't even talk to people, with, you know, get through a complete sentence before they're looking at it and referring to it and whatever else. I've got a cell phone. They are distracting. I promised myself, I thought it was ridiculous early on when I would actually see people texting while driving their car. It's like these people are. They have a death wish. Don't drive next to me. I'm moving over to the next lane. What are you doing? How dangerous, How idiotic. How da- And then like two years later, what am I doing? Uh, dangerous. That's a conf- true confession, sorry. So we are distracted by so many things today, technology, entertainment. And entertainment is just smothering us with distractions in our life uh, and devotion to Jesus Christ. And uh, that's just a good thing also this year to think about and evaluate your life and what are the distractions of my life and weighing at me and pulling at you, pulling at me, trying to take us away from our priority. And that is focusing in on Jesus Christ. So tear away the distractions. Of life, and that'll help you in your relationship growing with him. Let's go on to the next verse. Point number four. Don't focus on others' faults. Oh, that's the rest of verse forty. Don't focus on other faults. And that was we already alluded to this, Martha. She had the wrong attitude. So Jesus is going to confront this. She was thinking she was thinking wrong thoughts about Jesus, which we already said, and she's thinking wrong thoughts about Mary. She's pointing out what she thinks her sister's doing wrong when actually, Martha, no, you're the one that's wrong and Jesus is trying to point that out to you. you. You're trying to pick the little piece of sawdust out of somebody's eye and the two by four or the tree limb or the telephone pole is in your eye and you can't even see straight. And that's what's going on with Martha. Don't focus on others' faults. When you do that, uh, you're judging and the Bible says do not judge others. That's Matthew chapter. 7 verse 1, Jesus said, Do not judge lest you be judged. God is the judge. Let Him judge and let Him judge alone. Especially don't try to judge people's motives or their thought life or their intentions. You can't do that. I can't do it. That is impossible. God is the judge and He is the only judge of the human heart. And Martha's problem, she is judging Mary's intentions and motives. She's even judging Jesus' motives. Don't you care? You don't care. That was wrong. That was sinful. That was blasphemy, really, to impugn the Lord Jesus Christ. Illegitimately so. So don't focus on others' faults. If you came in here with an agenda thinking about everybody else's weaknesses and faults in the church, that is sinful. That is wrong. You need to repent. As do I. That is unhealthy. It is divisive in God's church. It does not please God. It is not glorifying to Him. It undermines serving Jesus Christ. Don't focus on others' faults. It's real simple. Focus on self. And Jesus is going to help Martha with that. So let's go on to number five. That was just real simple. Jesus is going to help Martha refocus here. Boy, you're focused on the wrong thing. I'm not the problem. Mary's not the problem. Martha, you're the problem. And your thinking is the problem. Your priorities are the problem. Number five. Don't find security in your good deeds. Because Martha thought what she was doing was important. As a matter of fact, Martha thought her deeds of service were the priority. What I'm doing is more important than going, listening to Jesus right now in the Bible study. I have taught Bible studies over the course of years where I've been in certain homes and different homes and where I'm, it's teaching time now. We had fellowship time, we had snack time, we had music time, and now it's time to teach the Word of God and there are people in the background piddling and doing dishes and whatever else. It's like, wow. We have reached the pinnacle of what we're here together. We are to hear together to hear the voice of God. We can piddle and do dishes later. That happens even at church. At all the churches I've served at, I've been guilty of that even. Instead of being in together with the saints during the worship service, having communion, hearing the word of God, singing with the saints, uh, we got an excuse. Oh, I'm out uh, doing my duty out on the campus somewhere. I'm I'm either doing security, I'm checking the parking lot, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm putting the cups away, I'm putting the tables away, I'm folding the chair. No. We can fold chairs later. Well, we've got to have the right priority. Uh, God wants good deeds, but you've got to do it in the right context with the right attitude and with the right uh, goal in mind. And that's Martha was off course here. Again, she's not condemned for her good deeds. And see, people can read into this passage and come out with the wrong conclusion. that, Oh yeah, uh, Mar- Mary's commended for... Sitting at Jesus' feet and praising and worship and listening to the Word of God and for being a mystic. So that's what we all need to be. We all need to be just mystics and contemplative and put aside the deeds. And, you know, deeds aren't important and then we're just kind of passive and don't do anything. That is not what this passage is teaching. It's teaching the right balance and perspective. And that's what false religions do. As a matter of fact, you can put false religions on either side with the wrong balance. Some religions emphasize deeds so much, they forget the priority of worship and adoration of God, and it's all just about doing good deeds to earn forgiveness, to earn salvation, and they find their very religious identity and acceptance before God in their good deeds, which is totally illegitimate. That's false religion. But Christians can easily do that, thinking God is pleased with my good deeds. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where, no, it's all just about being a mystic and Uh, praying and contemplative, and I'm going to go hide in a cave and live there for 12 years and just pray to God, and that's the wrong extreme as well. So there needs to be a perfect balance here. We need good deeds, and we also need the right priority. There is a time to not focus on deeds, but on worship of God first. And especially as Christians, we should not be finding our security before God and our identity in God in our good deeds and we can't find our identity in Christ in our spiritual giftedness. If you're a, whatever your gift is, if you're a, a, a teacher, if you're a good singer, you're a good musician, uh, God has gifted you in athletic ability or musical ability or artistic ability or uh, service or those kind of things. We cannot ever find our identity and security in those things. Our identity as Christians is only in Christ, right? And what He has done on our behalf. It is all 100% in Him. What He has done, not what we have done, right? And also, it is if we have done anything, it is only because He's done it through us through His Spirit for His glory, right? And He gets all the glory for it. And I thank God for using me, Lord, to bring the Gospel to this person or whatever it is, but you get all the glory and it was all you. I had nothing to do with it other than just being obedient and used graciously by you. That needs to be our perspective. And it's dangerous as Christians to fall into that false identity based on the deeds we do. So don't find security in your good deeds. And unfortunately, Martha was doing that because she thought doing the good deeds at that time was the priority. And it wasn't. She was off base. Verse 41, The Lord answered and said to her, and He didn't answer her question that she asked, and He didn't do or refer to the command that she made by forcing Mary to get back in the kitchen. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus is always surprising in His answers. I think every time he gets into a controversy with somebody or an argument with somebody, he always answers in a way that I never would have answered or even conceived that he would have answered. It's like, wow, that was surprising. Wow, I wouldn't have said that. Well, that's because you're not God or Jesus. And he does the same here. I would have probably answered her question. "Um, How dare you insult me and reproach me, you you bitty. You've got the wrong... Take that. (laughs) And by the way, Mary, she's doing the right thing. Quit picking on your little sister. I'm sick and tired. Anyway, that would have been me. That is not how... And then my kids are going, yeah, that's Dad. Mm-hmm. But that's not Jesus. What does He say? So the Lord answered and said to Mary, Martha, 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 Martha. You know, He did that at times. He, he, he would do it to... He, he changed Peter's name to, to Simon. No, He changed Simon's name to Peter. Sorry. Simon. Changed Simon to Peter. And Peter was the rock, the solid, the apostle. And then there, whenever you know Jesus wants to rebuke uh, Peter, He calls Simon, Simon. You're acting like your old self. He doesn't just say it once. He repeats it. That's for emphasis. That is emphatic. You are being disobedient. That is a rebuke. Simon, Simon. Martha, Martha. I mean, it's really an amazing... Way to state it, because he's showing personal interest in her, and yet he's making it emphatic, so it's this mild rebuke. And at the same time, it's kind of lighthearted. Oh, Martha, Martha, man, you are just way off base. And he's being gentle about it. He's not yelling. He didn't need to. Oh, Martha, Martha. Try that with your kids. Don't yell, just say their name twice. See if that works. Macy, Macy, that's my dog. That's not going to work. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. I kept saying that Martha's thinking was wrong. How do you know that, Pastor Cliff? Because it's right here. That's what he addressed. Her thinking. The word is very specific. These two words, worried and bothered in the New American Standard, are not used very frequently in the New Testament. They are very specific words. Worried refers to an agitated state of mind. That's how she's thinking. It is irritability. It is off kilter, and then bothered, worried emphasizes what's going on in her mind that we can't see. Bothered is the outward manifestation of that thinking. She is noticeably upset. She's probably red and turned and shaking. And that's what bothered emphasis. Bothered is an outward manifestation used in the book of Acts many times of about how a a, a crowd that's causing a havoc is acting out visibly to be seen. So she's all riled up on the inside and it's just leaking out her ears and showing up on the outside. Man, you are, you need to calm down, Martha, Martha. You are all bent out of shape and you got wrong thinking. Stop it. It's just a beautiful diagnosis. He just point blank. Just gives her the diagnosis. You are worried. So he acknowledges what's wrong with her. You are worried. You are just overly agitated. You are anxious. You are restlessly irritable. Wow, your thinking is tweaked and it's showing in your demeanor and in your countenance and in your tone and in your words and in your questions and in your demands. Martha, Martha. Beautiful, gentle, poignant, laser-like rebuke. And a perfect timing as well. So the Lord answered that, "Uh, you're worried and bothered about so many things. You know, women frequently boast that they are multitaskers. That is not always a good thing. Because Martha was being a multitasker here and what's, one of the problems is is she's not thinking about the right thing and she's not thinking about the main thing and the one and only thing where she shouldn't be a multitasker. She should be thinking about one thing. She should be with Mary, sitting down, thinking only one thing. Not multitasking, but receiving the words of Jesus. That's what she should have been doing. But no, she's worried about all these other things and what has to be done in the agenda and what happens after this and all the guests. And she is all over the map. Have you ever talked to people like that? they bring up five different issues in one sentence. And you can't even address the first one because they're off to something else. And they're just all over the place. It's like, whoa, calm down. Stay focused one thing at a time. And that's what Jesus is telling her. You are bothered and uptight and irritable about so many things. And by the way, so many things, not one of these things was the priority at the time. Not one of them that she was concerned about. They aren't the priority. They aren't important. They don't belong in this context. They don't even need to be addressed. They can be tabled for later. Just, as a matter of fact, take all of those things and just forget them about them right now, Martha. And let's think about the one thing and the right thing only, which takes us to verse forty-one and forty-two. Let's go ahead and look at it, and that's point number six: in growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ and wanting to model and emulate the life of Mary in this scenario, as opposed to Martha. We need to be like Mary, and we need to deny ourselves. And that's what Mary did not do. Um, Martha, Martha did not do. She was me, 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 my agenda, my agenda, my agenda. But Mary denied herself, as a matter of fact, humbled herself and knew that she needed to be rebuked, fed, and taught of God. And I'm going to put everything else away and focus on learning and receiving from the Lord Jesus Christ right now. That is denying self. We didn't deny ourselves. It helps us grow. Put away our own agenda. Put away our own priorities. And focus on the right thing. Focus on the right priorities at the right time. And so, Jesus goes on with her, you're worried and bothered about so many things, these, but these many things do not matter. They're a distraction. They're, they're upsetting your internal thinking patterns, Martha. Stop! Verse 42. But, another contrast, but only a few things are necessary right now. Only, as a matter of fact, not just a few, one, really just one, he says. There's only one thing that matters right now, and Mary got it right. What was that one thing? For Mary has chosen the good one thing that is the priority right now. It's not serving. It's not doing the dishes. It's not uh, all these other things and cleaning up, being distracted with piddling. The one and only thing that matters right now is sitting at my feet, listening to the Word of God and being lost and caught up in worship, adoration, and praise of the living God. That's the one thing. Serving is for later. Here's an important principle is serving should flow from worship, not the other way around. Serving should flow out of a heart of prioritized biblical worship. So that's how it always starts. It's Devotion to God comes first. Exaltation comes first. Then edification of the saints and evangelism to the lost. That is the proper order. And Martha didn't have it right. Mary did. That is the one thing. The one thing that mattered. The one that Mary has chosen. It was her choice. She's to be commended. It was the good thing. It was the blessed thing. The one that God honored. And by the way, that thing that Mary chose of choosing to be devoted to God, listening to Christ, taking in His Word, giving Him adoration, giving Him praise, being focused on Him, putting aside her own agenda, denying herself, that can't be taken away from her. Her one-on-one invisible communion with the eternal God of the universe cannot be taken away from her ever. It lasts eternally and it is between her and God. Isn't that amazing? And that's Jesus' promise here. It can't be taken away. And it won't be taken away. A lot of commentators struggle and debate about, well, what was the the one thing that was honored and that was the good part? What was it? Well, I just think it's clear from the text. It was the fact that Mary had the right choice, the right priority. She sat down at Jesus' feet. She humbled herself. She listened to His Word and recognized who He was as the Messiah. That is devotion. So here's, here is the one thing that she did right that we need to do in our life and make the priority before everything else. We need This needs to be the priority before service, the priority before everything else we do. One thing is necessary. And what is that? It's the good thing. It's the lasting thing. It's sitting at Jesus' feet. It's contently praising God. It is hearing the Word. It is listening to God speak. It's undistracted worship. It is focused adoration. It is intentional listening of Scripture. Actually, some of these things we can do in communion in just a minute. Where you take the cup and uh, the bread and you can sit there quietly, just you and God communing, talking to Jesus, thanking Him for His death on your behalf, uh, asking Him to forgive you of your sins. That's just a beautiful, sweet, precious communion that you can have with your Savior undistracted that God will bless and He'll refresh your soul as a result. It's the greatest priority. Other ways of saying it. Serious learning of biblical truth. Undivided attention to the Word. Submissive intake of God's Word. Deliberate listening to the voice of God. as found in Scripture. Humbly receiving instruction. Putting God's thoughts first. These are all synonyms. Having a single-minded disposition of devotion, single-minded disposition—that is a challenge. Do you ever go to pray to God and all of a sudden you're thinking about other things? What you have to do this week, uh, the person you're going to have conflict with this week, the person you had conflict with last week, the bills you didn't pay—you're trying to man. You keep trying to get back to be focused on God, single-minded devotion to Him. It's a challenge. It's an attitude of unreserved dependence upon Christ and His Word. It's heeding divine instruction before human action. And really this is just an old testament truth as well that Mary did, and it's from Psalm forty six ten, when God said, Be still and know that I am God. Thank you for listening. Doctor McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Doctor McManus, other messages or resources, please visit GBF SV.org or call us at 650-630-0009.